Who are the Mountain Meisters? Committing to the goal and galvanizing you and your team behind that one single focus. Being at peace with that fear and being okay with it. You gain a real appreciation for your life and for what you have. Learn about their extreme lives on rock, snow, and ice five days a week with your hosts, Russell Wilcox and Ben Shank. Welcome to Mountain Meister. Russell here. Hello, it's Ben. Today on the show, we have Mark Kogelman. Mark is based in Salt Lake City, Utah, and in 2010, he left his corporate job, company truck, expense account, and steady salary to dive into the big mountain ski industry. Mark runs an underground film production company called Soul Riders, as well as being sponsored by La Sportiva, many other top-notch brands. After a season-ending injury during a Salt Lake City freeride ski competition in 2012, he decided to take on more of a production role at Soul Riders. Mark. Is there anything else you'd like to share so the listeners can get to know you a little better? Um, I was skiing. I've been skiing since I was three years old. So that'd be 33 years now. My dad was an Austrian immigrant. All my brothers and sisters were super into skiing, ski racing. Me and my, and my sister both uh, raced in college, uh, raced in high school and college. And then when uh, Matchstick really hit the scene, I dropped out of college for a little bit and moved to Crested Butte, Colorado. And uh, that's where I discovered big mountain skiing and free ride skiing and fell in love with the sport. Did that for a while. Um, eventually, I sacked up and went back to Pennsylvania and finished my degree at Penn State. Yeah, like we were talking about before, I got a corporate job. I was living in California and Oregon for a while, working for a big company and uh, did my thing for a little bit and uh, couldn't take the grind as a, you know, the corporate life with a the attitude and everything that came along with it. And I was 30 years old. I left Black & Decker to pr- pursue a career skiing. That's kind of like what a soul rider is. It's someone that trades the big paycheck that going into it, know they're going to make no money and just live a higher quality of life. So was that a difficult decision to say, I'm going to leave my corporate job and just start something brand new? Yeah, well, it's funny how it worked out. I was up at uh, Vancouver during the Olympics and uh, there was a photographer up there shooting the athletes he ended up seeing me like jump off some cliffs or whatever. He started shooting me. And uh, that's when like skiing took on a more serious role for me. At the time, my wife was going to grad school. She was doing her uh, PhD for applied uh, economics. And I wasn't in a position where I could really leave work at that time. But after she finished up, you know, she let me, uh, we talked about it and we agreed uh, we should try to pursue this skiing thing, you know, try to live a, higher quality of life. So you were saying you were skiing at the Olympics. That was kind of in the background of the Olympics? Yeah, well, I went up there as a spectator uh, with my buddy Carp. Yeah, we went up there just totally to spectate, you know. There was, like, no snow in Cyprus, but at Whistler and Blackcomb, there was tons of snow, and everyone was there to spectate. So no one was skiing up on top of the mountain while the uh, events were going on. So I found myself in the mornings, you know, up top skiing, and in the afternoons, we'd buy scalp tickets for half price and go see the second run of the slalom or whatever. Uh, and this photographer said, your skiing's way more entertaining than the Olympics. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, uh, he was out there, he wanted to make some turns too, you know, was, mm-hmm. you know, fresh powder every day. And, you know, there's so many events going on in the Olympics, and they go on at all, at all hours, really. So, uh, you know, we do that, go catch the slalom. And then, you know, you can go to watch and shoot uh, 
the bobsled stuff is super easy. It's nothing like skiing. You don't have to worry about avalanches and all sorts of crazy stuff. You just kind of go there and spectate and shoot. So I just kind of tagged along with him. And at that point, we had never met before. So it was pretty fun. I met a, met a good guy out of that, and we, uh, we worked together to this day. So you become a professional skier at that moment, basically, when you, you actually get sponsored. It's pretty cool. And then a few years goes by, and you start this production company called Soul Riders. How did that actually happen? Yeah, being a professional skier is a very loose term these days. While I do not compete, I don't you know, win prize checks or anything like that. People say you're a pro skier if you get a traveling budget. I had that discussion with my uh, cinematographer yesterday. But yeah, like I get, I was getting funded to go wherever I wanted pretty much. Um, Sportiva is super awesome about giving me traveling money. I'm excited about that. You know, you, there's, there's a lot more to it than that. All these guys that are in the industry have a, uh, you know, full-time jobs. You know, a lot of them are, they'll do anything to get their ski passes. They'll, you know, the wait tables, the bus tables, they'll pour drinks, they'll bottle beer, <laughs> you know, whatever you got to do to get that season pass. And that's kind of how I created the production company was, you know, standing by that philosophy. That's kind of a, you know, Soul Riders is more of a movement in that uh, we're your everyday people out there doing everything we can to live a, a higher quality of life. And usually that comes with, you know, a lower paycheck, unfortunately, but that's the, you know, the lifestyle we chose. Yeah. So what does it take in order to get to the next level where you are a sustainably professional snowboarder or skier? To get to the next level, you got to, it's what I call shameless self-promotion. Hmm. I mean, there's a lot of work to be done off the mountain. On the mountain, you got to be up at the crack of dawn. You know, if you're filming big mountain backcountry, you got to be there for sunrises to get those sunrise shots. You also got to stick around to get the sunset shots too sometimes. And after all that, you got to go home and really market yourself. You know, you got to sell yourself to these uh, sponsors so they'll give you money to travel and hopefully give you photo incentives and, uh, you know, things like that. So for every second that you're in a film, you know, you'll be getting paid something. And it's, it's really hard to do because it's such a, it's a saturated market. There's a million athletes out there and they're all just really good. The level of being a professional athlete when it comes to skiing is so much different than your traditional sports like basketball. They're not really focusing on themselves at all. They're just trying to be as good as they can on the court. And for you, you have to go out, you have to work all day uh, in your activity, your sport, and then you come home and then you have to promote yourself. How draining is that? Oh, that in itself is a full-time job just because you got, you know, you got to do it so many different times as well. You got to do it on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Also, you got to write your own uh, proposals to do these, you know, to go on these trips, these expeditions, whatever you're doing, you have to come up with all that yourself. So in some sense, you got to know how to write a, a business proposal. We're not basketball stars. We don't have any of that fame and we don't have uh, agents or anything like that. You know, it's a, it's, a different, it's a different kind of buzz we're creating, that's for sure. Just out of curiosity, let's take basketball, for example. I'm pretty confident that the best basketball players in the world are playing for the NBA and there aren't necessarily other athletes, other basketball players out there that just aren't discovered. Whereas in skiing, would you say there's a talent level that's just kind of untapped because they aren't able to promote themselves as much? 
I would say it's definitely an untapped resource. There's a lot of great people out there, just a ton of people killing it. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of people out there that are really, really talented, um, but they don't know how to promote. Hopefully, those guys are smart enough to compete, and uh, they make their way up, you know, doing the Dew Tour, the X Games, uh, you know, the Grand Prix, whereas all you got to do is compete. You know, you can make it in the slope-style industry, whereas, you know, if you're doing the Free Ski World Tour, that's a big mountain competition, and those guys really have to promote themselves before they even get to those competitions so they can get sponsors to pay for them to get into these contests. Do you enjoy that part of your job to promote yourself? <laughs> Not really, because it's honestly, it's just a whole bunch of extra work to do on top of what I try to do on a daily basis. It feels good to have the photos out there, and it's great having guys like uh, Louis or Arevalo who can take a good photo and help promote that way. A lot of times the photographers will help get your name out there. Yeah, I mean, really, if uh, you know a guy like Will Wisman takes your photo, everyone's going to know who you are at some point, which is nice. But yeah, sponsors want to see somebody that's going to put the work in. You know, they like to think if they, you know, give them skis, give them equipment, give them a traveling budget, they're going to get a return on their investment. Well, that return is them uh, promoting with social media and giving them a lot of stuff back. I mean, not only do they have to be able to promote on on social media and whatnot, they got to have the connections to the photographers and cinematographers to go out and really get that footage. And, you know, those guys won't shoot with just anybody. You got to be able to hold your own in the backcountry. You got to know about snowpack and things like that. And also you have to be an incredible athlete. Hmm. So let's move to soul riders. I want to talk about soul riders because you found kind of this niche and way to take these guys who are doing this for maybe not a living, but it's such a big passion of theirs, and they'll do whatever it takes to do it. Can you describe to us what exactly your job is? My job, <laughs> I kind of do everything at this point. Uh, I call myself a producer. So, that, I mean, if you took my business card, I put executive producer on there. Soul Riders is really small, so I kind of do everything. But essentially what we do is, like, it's basically what we were just talking about. All those guys out there, you know, Every person has an incredible story to tell. A lot of my friends out here are firefighters, and they're off having these crazy adventures in the summer. So they work all summer so they can be able to ski all winter. Those are the kind of people I like filming. They have incredible stories, and that's essentially what you know a soul rider is. That's what the movement is. It's that person that will do whatever it takes to get that lift ticket, you know, um, or surf or skate, whatever, whatever you're into, whatever you need to do. To live that lifestyle, those are the kind of people we're, we're after, and uh, those are the stories we like to tell. Those stories that you're telling and where you're bringing these everyday skiers is just unbelievable. For example, your most recent trip to Kashmir, India, such an unusual place to go skiing or even go in general, and just skiing in the Himalayas is so rare and kind of seems like the upcoming thing. How did you get the idea to actually go to India to go skiing? Actually, the idea was the uh, owner of Grace Skis. Uh, it was his idea, actually. And back then, I was uh, skiing for Dave. And uh, yeah, he knew these guys called the Adventure Project. It's owned by uh, an Aussie. And uh, we went over there with uh, him and this other Kiwi. And uh, they turned out to be a really incredible guy. Yeah, it was just, I don't know, one of the craziest trips I've ever been on. Where is Kashmir exactly? Kashmir is uh, 
in northern India, right between Pakistan and India. Okay. It's a contested little piece of land that's, I don't know, it's been contested for since the 40s or something like that. So was there any political conflict when you went over there? So when we touched down, the Indian government had been hanging on to what they called a terrorist over there, a fundamentalist, I guess. And they had had him for a long time, but I guess, you know, it was really shady about how he was tried and whatnot. The day we touched down, they hung him in a uh, Indian prison and they buried him in the prison. And then they didn't let that, uh, they didn't let that surface until... The next day, which was when we touched down in Kashmir, actually. It's convenient. So (laughs) it was kind of crazy. Right when we got there, the whole country was going a little bit crazy and was in a little bit of civil unrest, I guess you could say. But they had 24-hour curfews being enforced right when we got there. So, yeah, the security was pretty insane. Gosh, where did we fly? We We flew into the next location, and then we had to drive from there to Gomarg, which is where we ended up skiing. But... Between there, we were driving in two cars, and uh, there was uh, a lot of people out in the streets demonstrating. It got pretty gnarly. Uh, at one point, the military pulled us over, which was really scary because there was guys with M16s and not M16s, AK-47s, and all sorts of assault rifles, and we didn't know they were military. You can't tell, you know, you just don't know. So they wave us over, and we're in two car loads. Yeah, they told us there's uh, like a riot going on a mile up the road. And we just needed to hang out and let things calm down. Well, things never calmed down. You know, we hung out there. We shot photos and interviewed a little bit. But um, (laughs) it wasn't calming down. So eventually they uh, put us back in our vehicles and they put us in a convoy where they led in the front. I think there were five guys hanging out of the sunroof. They had the door open in the back. Guys with guns out of the passenger side. It was nuts. I thought they were cricket pads, but I guess it was like, you know, they looked like hockey pads, but they were, it was riot gear. (laughs) It was nuts. We got that car leading us going up and then there's a car trailing behind us. We get out of the crazy zone about a mile up the road and it gets really quiet and we're all just like, you know, we're all shook up. Vanessa Adlin was in the back curled up in a ball, really nervous. I was sitting next to Thane Rich in the car and we totally thought we were out of it and we're starting to calm down and then that's right when a rock like big not a rock like a boulder nails the car they started like pelting the whole caravan you know with rocks who is this is after the danger zone (laughs) after the danger zone yeah we all thought we were you know clean of it it was our car we had two cars filled with uh, the film crew and athletes and then there was a group of like europeans in another car with us it was nuts. Like our driver, his name was Mushtak. He was awesome. He was like, he didn't even hesitate. The driver, while they were engaging and throwing rocks and everything was going like, you know, pandemonium, the driver floored it and went around and took off, blaring on his horn and people were jumping out of the way and rocks were still hitting the car and it was nuts. You know, it was hilarious because we're with a bunch of adrenaline junkies that jump off cliffs for a living and <laughs> they were all scared. <laughs> So did you have any sort of preparation for something like this before you left? No, nah, I think um, our guy told us that, yeah, he told us that there was definitely uh, a little bit of something going on like the day before we got up there. We didn't know it was going to be to that extent. But at the same time, like we didn't get hurt and nobody, you know, nobody actually hurt us. So it turned out OK, but it shook us up a little bit. That's for sure. <laughs> 
So then you get to the freaking Himalayas, and what is Kashmir like? What's different about that area than, say, the Rockies? Kashmir is absolutely gorgeous. It used to be called, you know, the most beautiful place on the planet. I think they said that. And then in the 90s, they said it was the most dangerous place on the planet. It is nothing like that now. I would totally recommend anybody to to head over there and, um, you know, definitely go skiing over there. It's completely safe, in my opinion. That was just a random event, I think. What separates it from the other places? I mean, it's absolutely gorgeous. Uh, the people, once you get into Gulmarg, which is where we stayed and uh, where you actually ski, uh, they were really friendly, super nice to us there. You know, there's crazy snow monkeys everywhere. And, uh, you know, we call them wild dogs, you know, just roaming around. And they're like not afraid of people. They're just right there in front of your face. What are snow monkeys? I've never heard that before. Russell, do you know what a snow monkey is? Uh, I've heard of a snow bunny. But that's about it. <laughs> not a snow monkey. I prefer the snow bunnies. But what is a snow monkey? I don't know. There's probably like a scientific term. But, uh, yeah, they're just little gray monkeys with these huge, wide... Uh... Oh, so it's actually a monkey? <laughs> yeah, it's a monkey. I thought that was a, a slang term for somebody. No, it's not a derogatory term. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's all sorts of monkeys there. And it was like, that was so entertaining. Like, I just opened up my window. You don't watch TV. You open up your window and stare at the monkeys and they're right there looking back at you it was cool this one area we accessed was called paper bark trees and it's it's just gorgeous because you know the wind's blowing and uh the bark on this trees is literally it's like paper just blowing in the wind i think there's a great great shot of uh thane rich that came out in skiing magazine when we got back that uh can show you what what that looks like but those trees are incredible and the the gondola is the highest gondola in the world. It also looks like a really old one, but I don't know how old it is. It's really cool. Seats like four people. It's nuts. Yeah, the highest one in the world. So like your your slack country or for your viewers, that's uh, called side country. Okay. You know, you can you can go uh, alpine touring just off the lifts. It's really good access to arguably the best skiing in the world. Yeah, I've heard at this specific ski area, they don't really get that many skiers on a typical day. How many would you usually see? No, there, there's just not a lot of people there. You got to understand you're in pretty much a second, third world country. You're going to see things that, you know, you're just not used to. Our cinematographer went back into the kitchen <laughs> where we were staying and recommended that I don't go in there. <laughs> at the same time, I thought the food was pretty good. <laughs> Ignorance is bliss. Yeah. So did you mostly stick to just the resort there? Or did you guys do any more backcountry skiing? We do. I mean, Soul Riders does a lot of stuff. We got, we got slope-style skiers, park skiers, snowboarders, um, you know, split boarders, big mountain skiers, everything. So, like, right now, it's, it's 60 degrees in Salt Lake City right now. So Jacob, my cinematographer, is up at Park City right now, probably uh, filming Jonah Williams, uh, Dylan Manley, and Paxson Alexander. Those are three awesome young athletes that are right on the verge of becoming pro. You know, they'll be taking laps in Park City inbounds because that's what we're going to do today. Another day, if the snowpack's looking safe, we'll be out, you know, in Little Cottonwood Canyon filming, you know, in the Wasatch. You know, like I said, if the snowpack is safe. Uh, last week we were in Telluride. The week before that, we were in Breckenridge. The week before that, we were in Mammoth. The week before that, we were in Big Bear. You know, we'll go to the Himalayas. We'll go to Park City. 
you'll go to Seven Springs. <laughs> you heard of Seven Springs? That's funny you say that because um, I grew up in Pennsylvania, actually. Me so. too. <laughs> I'm a Pittsburgh local. Oh my God, you're a Steelers fan, aren't you? Absolutely. I'm from right smack dab in the center of state. I went to high school and college where yep. Penn State is. Oh, yeah. And uh, yeah, there's a little mountain there with about five, 600 vertical feet called Tussie Mountain. And that's where I grew up skiing. <laughs> great. There's actually, I'm trying to remember his name. There's a really great slope style athlete that was just in the Olympics. That's uh, his home mountain is Seven Springs, actually. Is his name I got, Tom Wallish? That's it. And yeah. I got to film him uh, at uh, Park City's Grand Prix right before he went over there to Sochi. Yeah, Seven Springs is a a sleeper. You know, it's... It's 500 vertical feet, but the park that they have there is fantastic for the area. It's a great mountain. Do you guys ever have mogul skiers as sole riders? That's Ben's specialty. <laughs> uh, it's ironic you say that. Uh, there's another Ben I was talking to up in uh, Sun Valley, like a younger kid that was uh, showing me some, some of the stuff they do up there. But no, we don't. We haven't done that yet. But that's something I definitely want to do. You know, like I said, it's 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 about it's about the story as much as it is the action. So bump skiing is pretty sweet to watch. It's fun to watch. So I'd be uh, totally interested in if I can find like a unique athlete that has a, a good story. I'm thinking of like a crossbreed between a podcaster and an ex-mogul skier. There you go. Oh, right? <laughs> Anything that beats banker hours, you're doing it. Right. So kind of the funny thing about this production company you have is you started pretty small and you've made one unbelievable film and, and many more also probably along the way. The one that you have recently coming out is Lines of Control, which has already been featured on Epic TV. So you're taking these people who are these soul riders and you're making them famous. Do you just have to go out and find new people for every film that you do? Yeah. So I guess that, that's a really interesting question. We're still new. You know, this is only our second season. So we're figuring this all out as we go. But yeah, I mean, the question is, after these guys get famous, like, do we film them again, right? Because the whole point of the Soul Rider is to find the person, you know, that's that's out there doing it for free. They'd be doing it without a camera on them. That's like part of our mantra. I just don't really know yet, you know. We'll uh, we'll see what happens. I'm sure, you know, guys like Thane Rich, who are starting to get pretty popular now. If you don't know Thane, your listeners, Thane's the guy that's pretty much the poster boy for Bahala's uh, nude segment. Have you guys seen that? I'm not sure if I have. I haven't, no. I probably don't plan <laughs> Google on it. <laughs> Google nude segment, Valhalla, Sweetgrass Productions. It's absolutely hilarious. But Thane's such a humble dude and such a cool guy. I guess self-proclaimed Soul Riders is an underground production company. From the business end, would it make sense for you to become a big production company when in reality you're trying to represent underground athletes? Yeah, no, that's a good question. Um, I mean, we're going to grow, but the question is, how are we going to grow? I mean, really, I'd like to keep our company pretty small. Um, I like the guys that we work with to take an active role in the company and, you know, be able to stay, stay here for the long haul. Like the cinematographer I worked with this season was an intern, but he's turning into so much more than that already. So we need to be able to afford to pay him what he deserves to earn, you know, and paying him pretty good now, but uh, as we grow, hopefully that'll grow. But um, so, yeah, we definitely want to grow. We don't want to get huge. We want to be able to keep the flexibility of filming whoever we want. Sometimes when these companies get to a certain point, 
where uh, certain big brands are giving them money, then they have to film just those athletes. That's something we don't want to end up doing. Uh, we don't want to be forced to stick to a certain regiment of athletes. We'll get bigger budgets, but at the same time, you've seen what we've done with low-budget films, and we're still pretty good. So now we don't we don't have to, but definitely be nice to uh, be able to make a little bit more money. That's for sure. Right now, the ski industry, it's extremely tough to make it in this industry. Walk out of the ski industry for a second and nobody knows who we are. It's interesting. And like you said before, it's also very saturated with talent and a lot of people producing, a lot of people skiing, a lot of people taking pictures. It's just, it's tapped. I mean, when I went to Breckenridge last week, the uh, director there had us, you know, submit all of our permits and insurance and things like that because everybody out there with a camera now, Facebook and everything, claims production company. There's a lot of people out there doing it. You just got to be able to set yourself aside and, and have some good athletes that work hard and are uh, also very talented. And it's just as important to have the guy behind the camera that's good as the guy in front of the camera. So what do you think is next for Soul Riders? Do you have any big trips planned? There's a couple of female climbers we want to work with this summer. I mentioned uh, Louis uh, Arevalo earlier. He's a photographer. We got a spot picked out over in Asia. Only six people in the history of the world have ever been in this spot. Wow. And we have a first descent climb, which means, to your viewers that don't know, that these people will be the first two people to climb it in the history of the world. And not only that, but females, which makes it that much more awesome. We're going to bring a couple filmers Louie's going to be the photographer, uh, two female athletes, some guides, things like that. But more importantly, I want to bring a drone, which is a camera that's like a little helicopter that we can put a, a 4K digital camera because a lot of this stuff we can't climb, honestly. Only these professionals can climb this stuff. What do you foresee as being your biggest challenge to make that trip happen? It's a five to eight week expedition, and we don't even know when we get there if the conditions are going to be safe enough for the girls to climb it. <laughs> so there's one right there. We get all the way there, and we don't even get it. Um, that's a possibility. This climb we're talking about is 12 to 15 pitches. For those of you who don't know, a pitch is like, you know, you climb the length of a rope, pull it up, boom, that's one pitch. Now, 12 to 15, I've only ever done two pitches. I'm an average climber, and that scared the crap out of me. So 12 to 15 is going to be gnarly. Russell took me to this uh, gym around here one time, this bouldering wall. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, I'm fairly athletic. I've played sports Debatable. in high school. <laughs> okay, well, anyway, so I go to this bouldering wall, and they have all these different levels. And so I'm like, I'll probably try like a, a three out of what it, or they out Well, of? we are bouldering. And so there's the, the V0 through okay. V14. Yeah. So I said, I'll do a V3 to start out with. Didn't, <laughs> couldn't do the V3. So I was like, okay, V2. Kept going down and I ended up making it up the V0, but that was it. <laughs> I could not do a V1 and it was a big blow to my self-esteem. Did you have a uh, crash mats there? Yes, Absolutely. <laughs> I needed the crash mats. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I got a guy coming out from Pennsylvania this week and he, you know, he's never been to Utah before. So I'm like, we're gonna get you a you know a harness, I'm gonna take you climbing, we're gonna take you skiing. He's a good skier though. Uh so I'm gonna take him skiing and just, you know, it's just gonna blow his mind when he when he sees all the fun stuff out here to do. Get hooked. Exactly. Thanks for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. We're going to have all the links to your website, soulriders.com, and then uh, also some some sneak peeks to your video, Lines of Control, which already has a few featured episodes on Epic TV. Also be on our website, mtnmeister.com. Is there any other way that the listeners should connect with you, Mark? 
Yeah, just check us out at soulriders.com. Um, it's Soul Riders with a Y. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, whatever. You know, if anybody wants to uh, talk about skiing or uh, maybe you're a filmer and you want to talk to me, that's kind of my thing. I, I like to hear from everybody and uh, hit me up. Very cool. Well, thanks so much for giving us your time. Really enjoyed talking to you. Great. Thanks a lot, fellas. Appreciate it. To the listeners out there, if you like what Russell and I are doing with this podcast, there's a really easy way to contribute and help out with what we're doing. One of the things that we're really focusing on right now is the new and noteworthy section. And what that is, is it's a section that you would get into for your podcast in the first eight weeks from your launch. And it's all based off of downloads and reviews. Yeah, exactly. And actually, on average, subscribers grow by 300% when a podcast makes this new and noteworthy section. So it's really important. And in order to make this happen, we really need your help. There are two main drivers that will help our podcast qualify for this section. And those are five-star reviews on iTunes and downloads. This is a huge goal for us. And there's really only two things that you need to do. For one, subscribe to the podcast. You'll get episodes five days a week. And leave us a review. We hope that it's five stars. It better be five stars. (laughs) And thanks. Thanks.